A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. It's the Innovation Podcast with Mark Reed Edwards and Garnett Harriman. Let's start the show. Hi, it's Mark, and we're back with the iPod. Garnett, good morning. Good morning. How are you today, Mark? I'm doing really well. I'm really excited. We have Daniel Ray from Ultimate Guitar, and I use this app. I am not a very good guitar player, but it's a great app uh, if you want to learn chords or tabs and It's going to be fun to get the background on where Ultimate Guitar came from, what Daniel's background is. So why don't you kind of paint the picture of Daniel Ray and then introduce him? So Ultimate Guitar is is definitely the the world's leading site and source for guitar tabs, and it's probably touched, I'm guessing, millions of musicians uh, over the years up until its current incarnation. And uh, I'm sure Daniel will have a lot to say about what's going on now into the future. Daniel came to my attention because I was looking at folks who were doing interesting things in the music space, digital music space, and I came across his bio, and, he, and to me, he looked like a one-man digital music ecosystem. Yeah. I'm looking at his, uh, he was a CEO, a founder of Zylo Corporation, he's the head of product strategy for MuseScore, and now he's the director of a, a term that is near and dear to my heart, uh, innovation, but, but also intrapreneurship at UG Labs. And with that, we'll say hello to Daniel Ray. How are you doing? Good. Hey, guys. It's great to have you here, Daniel. So so what is your background? And how did you <laughs> get to this point in your career? And how did you get to Kaliningrad, Russia? Uh, all, you know, all of those seem very strange. Uh, you know, like unusual, <laughs> <laughs> unusual paths here. But, uh, my background is actually in both music and technology. And strangely enough, I, I never thought... It like never even really crossed my mind to combine those two until several years back. Yeah. And, you know, starting out, you know, as a kid, I thought I would, I would be doing music, you know, my, my whole life. And so I was, I was pretty much involved in anything that a kid could be involved in, in music, both formally and informally. And I was in playing in rock bands, jazz bands and in school and marching bands, symphony orchestras, kind of everything out there kind of connected with music. And, you know, that naturally led to me studying music education. I thought I would, yeah. you know, be a school music teacher and then uh, studied music composition. I played professionally for a couple of years in a symphony orchestra uh, in California wow. as a bassoonist. So I, what did you play? Bassoon. So oh, bassoon. Uh, yeah, I played uh, with yeah. Fresno Philharmonic in California 
on bassoon, and then I subbed for, wow. on contrabassoon for San Francisco Symphony. One of my favorite classical music instruments, and totally underappreciated by the by the general contrabassoon. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, it's, it's really easy to get around too, right, Daniel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's actually it's it's and the groupies. The groupies are the biggest the biggest problem with that. <laughs> yeah, all 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 two of them. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, the thing is, is is you know they get. <laughs> And both of them are getting up there in years, so it's like you know. <laughs> uh, so, but you obviously played another instrument as well to be in a rock band. I don't think there are many bassoon parts in in Agata de Vida. So, uh, you, you know, <laughs> now now you're giving me a challenge here. <laughs> so you gotta get it out and yeah so i played a number of instruments and also also studying music education you have to spend time with all different instruments and i played you know uh also in a german bugle corps kind of thing so i was playing brass instruments i was playing percussion played bass played all kinds of uh, of stuff wow yeah but i mean that's i thought i was going to be doing that for pretty much the rest of my life if you would ask me you know back then i would probably be a high school band director somewhere yeah, and yeah. You know, and 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 I might actually still be someday. I mean, that's like a certainly a, a, a fun thing to do. So, I would argue you you are sort of like running your own uh, high tech band camp at UG. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Something like that. Yeah. But I was in, you know, I was I was involved in that, and kind of the, the technology thing kind of happened a little bit by accident. In some ways, you know, not that I ever planned on doing it, but I mean, growing up, my dad was actually one of the, an early pioneer in computer science. And so he started out when I was very young, he was at NASA and he was developing machine control systems. You know, he went from there to IBM, then up to Digital Equipment Corporation in Boston. And he was at Apple, Oracle, WordPerfect. And so we kind of bounced all around. But as a kid, we had computers in the house. It was just something that was always there. And it was something that where I would learn to code, you know, with my dad, the same way a kid would take piano lessons or something. So it's just something I, a skill that I had and, you know, it was something very familiar to me. And I never thought about actually getting much into technology until as I was finishing up my studies, that was the time the internet was just really starting to come into its own, you know, into this private thing. It was breaking out of these silos of CompuServe and Prodigy and all those things in the 90s and this open internet, you know. And so after struggling trying to make a living as a musician, you know, I thought I needed to make some extra money and figured I could end up just kind of doing some web pages or something like that. So I started doing that a little bit on the side and That actually spiraled into creating this company that after several years, we moved from building websites into doing really complex systems for large multinational companies. So like HP, Dell, Kraft, Nestle, companies like that. And that company ended up, I ended up uh, selling that company. And when I did that, that gave me some more time and some freedom and time to jump back into, you know, the things that I really cared about, you know, the the hobbies and things which got me more into music. And at that time, exploring the possibilities of where music and technology could intersect. 
which has kind of led to where, you know, where I am now with UG kind of becomes a natural fit. I think the great thing about talking to people on this podcast, Garnett, is that no one's career story is a straight line. It's really fascinating how people get where they are. Agreed. And the, um, the, one of the consistent themes is this sort of integration thing. You know, how do I combine yeah. a high power career with something I love? And it's it just, I mean, it, it, on the surface, it sounds trite, but it's, it's interesting to see that, that human struggle for um, integration and like a, a holistic view of how to, how to live your life. Very cool. Yeah. So, Daniel, what's the ultimate guitar story? You guys raised no venture cap, <laughs> didn't even take out a bank loan. Nope. And it started in, in a, the bedroom of a student in Kaliningrad, Russia. So how did it become what it is today? Yep. What's the story? <laughs> yeah, that it sounds like one of those things. It's it's the most improbable success story I think you could imagine. Literally starting from Kaliningrad, Russia, where you're geographically and in a lot of senses culturally isolated. Not a hotbed of technology, I wouldn't think, right? Not really, but you know, the other part of it is that to do that and to get it to the scale that, that UG is at. I mean, UG now has over a hundred million users. Yeah. Right? And number one app in, in music for music creation in pretty much every app store out there in the world. And to get to that level without the venture capital and, and not only venture capital from in terms of the cash, but also the guidance, you know, that you get from from the VCs and, and the mapping to the partnerships to do what they've done all without that is just it's crazy impressive. And that's one of the things that actually why you know the the UG story is kind of something that drives me, you know, to this place. And because it's it's really kind of in that spirit of things to do it differently is something that embodies the whole culture of the company, let's say. But how it started is the founder of the company, he's a kid in Kaliningrad, Russia, and loves Guns N' Roses, you know? He's a student in university. He wants to find Guns N' Roses tabs, yeah. you know, guitar tabs, wants to learn how to play them. You can't just go down to a guitar center, you know, or something like that in Kaliningrad and pick up a book. Right. They don't exist. You don't have these books available of these pop songs. And so he just starts to transcribe, you know, plunk them out on the guitar and transcribe them, write them down. And then decides this is cool and wants to share it with some of his other friends who are also fans. And it started, I mean, this is a really, really organic story. I mean, it started very organically where people started to share, oh, here, look at, I also took these songs and, you know, check yeah. it out. And so people started to contribute to the site and it kept going and going and going. And the, Interesting thing is that it's also the geographic isolation that was a contributing factor to the success of the company. Because had this company been started in the U.S., it wouldn't have succeeded. Yeah. You know, it would have been a footnote somewhere. Because what happened in the music industry as a whole, how it was impacted by the internet, the first wave of that was the recording industry with Napster and everything, you know, every, every, everyone going after the recordings and you know, the master recording yeah. side of things. And then there's the publishing side. And this is the stuff that touched the, the publishing side. And so they were slow to adopt the internet to, let's say, to adopt and to adapt to a, a new market. And he was a really smart guy in the sense that he understood that, hey, you know, this is going to go legit at some point. And there is going to be a point where 
this is going to shift because look at the demand for this. You know, there is a demand for this in the market. And the priority of the publishers was first to go after these sites that for sharing in the US and UK and the rest of Europe. Like Olga. Olga was a big thing. Absolutely. Right? And so all these companies got cease and desist orders and he knew that was coming. He saw that, and but he also saw that as an opportunity. And so he had been taking the revenue from the site and just saving yeah. it and saving it and saving it and saving it to where by the time, you know, what, what had happened is, is, you know, when one site would shut down, another site would shut down, that traffic would just move yeah. to a different place and it moved to Ultimate Guitar, ultimate, you know, ultimately. And so by the time the publishers had sent notices and, and, and wanted to really shut the site down, he said, well, what if we did something different and use the opportunity to have a discussion with them about going legit, you know, licensing it. And so it became the first independent fully licensed site from the publishers. And he had had the foresight to be able to save money, which is a tough thing for, you know, a kid that age to do. They are, they're going to go out and want to spend, but was able to do it. And as you fast forward now, there's over a million songs on UG. Yeah. And is built up to being this, you know, thing that everybody knows. If you play guitar, you know about yeah. it. And you, you most likely use it. It's one of the early apps that I, when I first got an iPhone in 2008 or something like that, uh, it's one of the first apps that I found. Hmm. It's been with me ever since. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things, you know, that if, Making music like that or learning music is a part of your life, even casually. It's a great reference tool. It's something that you're always going to want to keep available. Yeah. You know, just to, you know, when you, whenever you pull out the guitar, you are probably going to pull out, you know, uh, the app or, or something there. So, yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about, you know, where you guys are now. And first, I, there, there's a few features in it that I think are really kind of neat, like the transposition. Mm -hmm function you know for an idiot like me who can't play certain chords mm -hmm. you can find a chord that works mm -hmm. and that's a neat innovation and it certainly wasn't something that was available on some of the old sites that just gave you the tab and said you're on your own right things like that and also the ability for the tab to scroll as you're playing yeah, and yeah. set the speed You've, you've made some really you know those seem like simple things but they're really kind of neat innovations so what are you doing inside UG now? You've made an acquisition of MuseScore. You've created Melodic mm -hmm. and done a few other things. So tell me what's going on. Looking at this audience here with MuseScore for the uh, you know, Ultimate Guitar, how Ultimate MuseScore fits in with Ultimate Guitar, it's the same thing. You know, it's it, these are people that want to create yeah. music. They want to share what they've created or what they are transcribing or transpose, you know, you talk about the idea of transposing, you know, the ability to, to take something that it's maybe you're a singer, maybe you're a pianist. It's not in the key that you can play it in. You can transpose it. You can transform it, you know, to something much more simple. Our big goal here is that we want to reach as many possible music makers, you know, in the world as we can, you know, and yeah. We look at that, that why can't there be 1 billion music makers out there in the world, you know, sure. making music sure. on any sort of scale. I mean, when we look at this, there's many different, different definitions of that. You know, it can be something very, very, very casual, 
and, and very, very simple. Or it can be something, you know, from the professional level and how do we serve each of, each of those. And so MuseScore is another area where we move more into other types of music. The, the whole idea is the concept, the premise is the same. Yeah, It is being able to share music notation, but now it's for any instrument that you can kind of imagine and any level. It gets into original works as well as, you know, familiar works that are out there. With Melodic, Melodic is a new game that helps you learn mm. to play. So it kind of gamifies the music learning experience, um, starting with guitar. Yeah. So kind of a video game thing that teaches you not only how to play, but also how to read, how to read tablature, how to read notation in the process, which now becomes a new point of entry for the ultimate guitar or muse score world. At the same time, being a fun way to build skills for those who can already read. Yeah. You know, you can already read notation, you can already read tablature. You can use it to build skills in, in a way that is a lot more fun than just sitting and practicing. Sure. Where we, moving forward, you know, we will move into areas that will expand both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Anything that's related to the absolute beginner and to the seasoned professional and every every kind of bit in between. Yeah. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you've fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot Help save lives and schedule your appointment at vitalant.org. You could help save lives. So you describe yourself as an entrepreneur. And the first time I heard that word was back maybe in the 80s when someone inside of 3M created the post-it note. And it <laughs> yeah. was, it, it, you know, there, there was like some kind, of, some kind of adhesive that wasn't strong enough to work for 3M, but they put it on the back of a piece of paper and it became the ubiquitous post-it note. So what's your post-it note inside <laughs> UG? Well... I guess, you know, to explain the concept in general, you know, and then before we get to like, what is my post-it note, there's, there's kind of a whole stack of them. But, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're looking at opportunities in a market, you know, things that are untapped or unexplored opportunities or, or underdeveloped opportunities that you, you feel like that you can view in a different way or, or somehow make some movement in the market that's different. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, you're doing the same thing. You're doing exactly the same thing. But what you're doing is you're looking at it through the lens of what are the, the goals and targets of the company specifically and what are the resources or advantages that the company might have. So it's essentially just a filter on entrepreneurism, right? It's right. just looking through a particular lens. And so that's kind of how I uh, approach it. You know, and I, I work horizontally across the company in the sense that yeah. I, I look at every single product that we have as a company or areas that we want to go into and always ask the question, what if, Yeah. you know, everything is what if, well, what if we did this? What if we changed this? What if we shifted this? And so looking at ways to innovate within the context of existing products, whether it's features or functions or creating relationships or partnerships or integrations through that or coming up 
completely from zero with new ideas for concepts or products or even acquisitions of companies that might fit within what we're doing. And in my role, I go through all of those. And are you gonna are you gonna share the list of of actual post-its? Like, well, for instance, I'm super <laughs> curious about is there a, is there a big data? Uh, so I can tell you the areas that I'm. Is there a big data or or an AI post-it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's you know that's something that we can definitely get into. You know, is okay. Is where. Don't give away any any secrets, but I'm I'm just curious in general. No, I mean I, I can't tell you specifically about what we're doing. I mean we we we've made some acquisitions in some areas, you know, recently that I, I think are going to get us into very new areas for the company, in the sense that I think that it will enhance the capabilities of some of the existing products and open up new areas. Areas you know that I'm really looking at right now quite a lot are things that that are related to anything that can improve the efficiency of, you know, we talk about all the experience on the front end, right? When we talk about that, the the front end of what, what ultimate guitar does, you know, for the end user, there's also a whole set of things on the back end that the user never sees. And those are some areas where there's a, an incredible opportunity for improving efficiencies, not just only the efficiencies of, of how we operate internally, but how we integrate with other things in the market. And also, we've created some things and some, some approaches and some solutions that I think could be interesting at some point you know, to see how they could be applicable to other companies in the industry. You know, so I think the, the, in the natural path for any company like this, I mean, you take, take Amazon, for example. Amazon Web Services started out basically by Amazon opening up their internal solutions that they created to be able to run Amazon, you know. And I think those are interesting. For me, those are interesting, really interesting opportunities and models to, to look at sure. to see you know, how does that apply to what we're doing? When you talk about data, data is like, I, I could, I live in, in data, you know, and live in looking at opportunities of how more information and how that information is applied. How can that change, you know, the impact of the user experience? How can it improve the efficiency of some of these other things, which gets into the other point, there is a limit to how much humans and even simple machines and simple systems can process and interpret that data on their own. Yep. So that gets into areas of machine learning, gets into areas of AI. And, you know, that's a whole other topic of discussion. But I mean, it's, those are the areas that, that I think are very, very interesting. And these are things that I'm, you know, I explore, my time is, is divided across some of the, a good chunk of my time is on the MuseScore editor. So we have this notation editor. The interesting thing is it's an open source project uh, as well. So this is a new thing for MuseScore and definitely a new thing for me is what is it like when a company is the sponsor or champion of an open source project? So we have internal resources Let's say something something similar to Mozilla, where Mozilla has internal resources that contribute to the open source project along with community contributors. And how do you balance a product roadmap with the needs of the community 
and also with the goals of a company. It's kind of an interesting challenge. So that's something that's been, we spent the first year looking at how we build up the resources and how we put the processes and systems in place. How do we right. align, you know, the, the infrastructure with things? And then now we're at this stage of, okay, well, what's next? Where's this product going? And so I spend a good amount of my time on that, where the, that product is going and, you know, supporting the team. Yeah there internally and uh, engaging some externally. My, my job is to look at where we will be in a year, two years, three years, five years, and kind of work backwards from there. In working backwards, it's kind of, if you, if you know, when you, when you get to the, the, the eye doctor, you know, the optometrist there and, right. and it starts out really fuzzy and then you flip it and it becomes clearer, clearer and clearer. And so this five years out, it's kind of fuzzy in general. Yeah. And as we get clearer, closer and closer, things get more concrete, you know, in terms of from general ideas right. into very, very specific you know, goals. What are we going to do this quarter? No, that's kind of a, a roundabout answer to that. So rather than it being a post-it, it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's many different products. Collage. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a collage, cool. basically, of different things so, all together, yeah. Yeah, so with the the whole idea of, you know, five years out being kind of cloudy and uh, the closer in you get being a bit more clear, where is the music industry headed? It might be a broad question and maybe the subject for uh, an individual podcast itself or a series of podcasts. There's been so much upheaval in the 20-year period that we're kind of talking about from, you know, CDs ruling the day to... The comeback of vinyl. I mean, it's just kind of a crazy industry. So where, where do you think from your point of view, where it's, where it's headed? What's interesting is if we can kind of separate this into a few different pieces. When we look at where is the industry headed, you know, from the recording industry, from the publishing industry, from the music creation, the music products industry. And what was interesting is historically, those have all been really very separate and distinct silos. And right. what's happening now is those are becoming more and more integrated. And it's pretty cool. I mean, like when you look at it from, uh, if you, on the simplest point is over, you know, you've seen over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, a general consolidation in the, the recorded music industry to where with new artists, they're cutting 360 degree deals, meaning that they're not involved just in the recording side of it. They're involved in the publishing side of it. They're involved in the touring. They're involved in the merchandising. Yeah. They're involved in, they, you know, yeah, these brands have even, the labels have even divisions that are connecting with brands on products and integration. They want to be able to pick the pocket of the artist <laughs> at every point along well, the way, right? Well, I don't, like, yeah, maybe the opposite. Or the opposite. The <laughs> artist wants to pick the pockets of these, like, you know, large conglomerates that have dominated each one of these channels. Um, my favorite channel is merch. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, merch <laughs> is, 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 is really, is, is really, really interesting in the sense that when we talk about how technology is influencing each of these things, I mean, now you have actually record labels that have acquired merch companies and that are at the leading edge of innovation in merchandising because before where it was is, is you'd have to go and do let's say with a group that was touring, you'd, you'd have to take and print up the merch, 
it would have to physically take up space on a you know a vehicle travel around to these other things like this now you have the merchandise you can get on demand yeah you know and it's it's shipped to you anywhere in the world with local production based upon where you are with consistent materials and consistent printing quality and and really, I mean, that's really interesting stuff in the sense that the music industry is actually driving some other industries in this. And, the, you know, if you look at uh, Techstars, for example, yeah. they have a music program now in its third year, I think, right? Yeah. So, yep. It's, it's a really, really great program. And you see one of those companies in there was Merch Company this year. Oh, yeah. You know, and you, you see things that are kind of, in gen this is the general thing, that, that we start to see a consolidation of things in the industry. And then this starts to move into, well, where's the consolidation in the music production yeah. side of it? You know, in terms of not necessarily consolidation of ownership, but consolidation of workflows. Right. You know, that you have one workflow that can connect to another workflow, connect to another workflow. And before, everything was so distinct. I mean, thinking about like, uh, here's an interesting, you know, kind of example is like you had, let's say when Pink Floyd recording the wall, you know, they're recording the wall doing the session in the south of France. When they finish doing this stuff, the guys get on an airplane with the tapes right. and fly from France <laughs> to New York, you know, and then they do the orchestration there in New York and then they record the other things and then they get on the, they take those tapes and then they go to London and fly to another studio in London and then they do the, the mix and the, ma you know, and, and the mastering and that wouldn't happen these days. You know, now you have these workflows where some of these things could actually be done in real time. And some of these things can be where, where elements and components can be reused. And there's a lot of really, really fascinating stuff that, that's happening in there. But in, you know, kind of where I see, you know, moving back to where are things headed in the industry as a whole? One is this consolidation of workflows. And then the other thing is that you now have this, this gets to a point of data, 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 data. And the more access to data you have, the more ability you have to identify new opportunities, to identify things. And this is not only about data related to music specifically. This gets into trying to better understand the markets, consumers, tastes, the trends, and also being able to target for tours, improving the efficiency of tours, you know, being able to understand, okay, this is where this, this tour should be going based upon these specific pockets of people we see that you know there are these people that are in sheboygan wisconsin that just happen to really really love neil diamond you know <laughs> so if i'm gonna go and and put a neil diamond tour we need to really make sure we include sheboygan on there so it's improving the impact and the efficiencies of any of these efforts that they have out there then when we get into the idea of when we talk about machine learning and especially ai everyone so much of the hype is around AI replacing humans. You know, there's going to be us saying, oh, a pop songs in the future will be written by AI. I don't really necessarily believe that because there's something in music that requires a human to human connection. You know, there's some sort of resonance that you're never going to, that's, that's you know, unless you have created or have gone through that type of experience as someone else, right. you're never ever going to be able to recreate that. And, but I think more specifically where I see AI going is 
down the path of supporting the creator in creative tools, starting first, I mean, the most obvious places in the mixing and mastering using AI to where someone who is less skilled at doing, uh, you know, mixing process could utilize AI tools to improve this. And I think that impacts mostly the, you know, amateur or semi-professional or the bedroom artist now creating much better mixes that they're getting out on SoundCloud, which improves the uh, effectiveness of the A&R process right. for record labels, which would also be AI driven, you know, in terms of when you look at where AI is being used currently in sports, right? You look at a particular player and you're trying to create predictive models yeah. of how that player is going to perform. Well, now you can apply that to early, early emerging artists to find some trends to create predictive models of how well that particular artist may do to identify them more early for A&R. There's a number of things, you know, in terms of just general tools for composition in terms of harmonization and other types of things that I think are going to be, I think, pretty cool uh, in terms of where the music industry is headed. But it's not, it's not going to replace anything. I think it's just going to enhance. Yeah. I was going to ask you about, you know, trends for the rest of 2019, but that pretty much does it. I mean, it's about AI, it's about data <laughs> and all that, right? Yeah, and 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 collaboration. Yeah. That's that's another big point. And yeah, I've been waiting. I've been waiting to hear more about engagement. You know, because any anyone who's using the UG app is essentially the deepest level of engagement yeah. you can have between an artist or a songwriter yep. and the actual listener user, right? By definition. By definition. So. And, and that actually brings up another, you know, whole other point is that there is, you know, there become more and more direct channels for artists to engage directly in fans. Right. Uh, with, with fans, right? And, and, What's your what's your favorite what's your favorite example? I've seen a couple of these in the last few years, like like Hookist. What do you think of Hookist? It's it's interesting. I mean, one of my favorite direct to fan engagement scenarios is something that was really unexpected, which would uh, Ben Folds yeah. getting on chat roulette, and so Ben Folds just uh. randomly on chat roulette uh, <laughs> singing things, which led to it being scheduled. So then you would have people waiting to randomly get on chat roulette with Ben's folds to be able to collaborate, you know, because then they wanted, because then he had fans that would just, that, you know, after a time, he'd say, you know, I'll be on Saturday doing this. They're sitting and waiting, and then he would collaborate with them. And that's, that creates a, an engagement and a level of spontaneity. It's like the, the serialization of spontaneous collaboration. That's that's yeah, yeah. kind of cool. Actually, it's, it was an interesting experiment. So I, I like that one. You know, I mean, like chat roulette is a you know long. I think does it even exist anymore? I don't know. But one of those early early experiments that I thought was really really cool. But then also when we talk about collaboration, that's the you know the the this type of spontaneous kind of collaboration, this type of artist engagement, but it's also creator to creator collaboration. And you have tools like Splice that are out there that are doing some really interesting things. But I think there are opportunities that become more casual than that, that I think that no one's really tapped into. I mean, you, you've seen some things with Smule doing duets or stuff like that, but I, I don't think that there's other opportunities. There's a whole other area in there that hasn't been really tapped into effectively whether it's real-time collaboration or 
like let's say this chess move style collaboration. I think there's really interesting opportunities out there for that where it's not necessarily a direct collaboration, but also iterative, you know, and a remix. There is this remix culture that has not been really made readily available to an unsophisticated user. Yeah. And I, I think we'll start to see trends like that emerge, um, which would be pretty interesting. So it's really a, a lot of it's about giving really sophisticated tools to, as you call them, the kind of bedroom creator. Absolutely. No question. No yeah. question about it. And, and it's tools and, and information. Yeah. You know, the yeah. more more tools, the more information, whether that's sheet music, whether that's, you know, knowledge of how to play something. Yeah. Or whether it's tools, it's empowering the unsophisticated creator without requiring a sophisticated process to gain that knowledge. All right. One of the most interesting chats we've had here on the iPod. We really want to thank Daniel for being our guest. I know I'll be watching Ultimate Guitar closely to see what's coming up. Okay, next time, Garnett and I welcome Harvard Business School 10 and family professor Francesca Gino, who'll join us to discuss how Rebels can help a company embrace innovation. Coming up, we have Kai Stinchcomb, founder of TrueLink Financial, joining us to talk about elder tech and his controversial views on blockchain. Mark Gallagher is also on the calendar to chat about innovation in F1. Lots more in store, so stay with us. Thanks for joining Garnett and Mark on the Innovation Podcast. Visit innovationpodcast.co to subscribe and listen to other episodes. You've never tried to eyeball six feet as often as you do now. You wear a mask, you wash your hands, and you've stayed within the walls of your apartment for more hours than you care to add up. But unless you live in a smoke-free building, you're not exactly home free. Secondhand smoke drifting through the cracks in walls or sink drains carries toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. And right now, lung health is key. Go to tobaccofreeca.com to learn how to stay safe.